0: Our God can do anything. All things are possible with him. And the Bible says all things are possible to those who believe. And and God is just waiting. He's he's wanting. He's expecting. He's desiring us to to connect with him and walk with him and see what he can do. God wants to show the world, the supernatural through his people. Uh, and, And it's always an amazing thing when God works through flawed and frail vessels, but it shows who God is and not who we are but who we can become in him. Um, We've been talking about love and learning about love and how love is so important to unity. And it's the unity of the body that is going to reveal to the world that Christ has come as the son of God. And they're going to be drawn to him. Um, But, you know, we, we, we oftentimes, well, sometimes I struggle with compartmentalizing things. And, you know, I'm here and I do this and I go there and I do that. But God wants to be a part of every compartment in our life, every aspect, every area. And when we, when we really realize how much God loves us and, and how he has done so much for us, uh, it, it opens our world up. Most people walk around today with a world that's about this big. You know, it's really small. It's got just the people they want in it and not anybody else. Um, But when God really gets a hold of us and we receive all God has, the love he has, it just overflows our lives and our world begins to increase. It gets bigger and bigger. And because we love God, we love the things that God loves. And God loves all people. And our world begins to take in more people than ever before because God has a work for us to do. And that work is to impact the world for him. We're we're supposed to be as ambassadors, is that right? Am I reading my Bible right? And and an ambassador is somebody that's sent to, on assignment from another country, but with all the backing of that country to reveal what that country's expectations are and and alliances are and things like that. And your, your home is not here, it's heaven. But we're here right now to represent the Lord to reveal him to the people that are not yet trusting in him and that's a that's a huge huge responsibility but it's an amazing blessing and gift and you know we've been learning about this love and how this love uh connects us binds us together in perfect unity colossians 3 14 is the foundational scripture that we've been working off and uh it says this above all clothe yourselves with love which binds us all together in perfect harmony so we're to clothe ourselves with this love and, and i shared with you last week some things that were very pertinent to my heart but i continue to meditate on on the word of god one of the things that happens is we can never exhaust the depth of god's word god will continue to bring new truth out to us through the same scripture and as i as i've been meditating on this i realized that. You know, sometimes I, I walk through life with blinders on. I've got my goals, my schedule, what I want to do and what I'm, I'm, you know, attempting to do. And I'm not as aware of the people around me that God is so aware of. And uh, I just felt like I, I was supposed to share this today about Debbie and I went out to dinner the other night and it was, it was really nice. We went to a very nice restaurant and uh, it was crowded. Uh, we sat down and... Our, our server came, and she, she was really nice. She was very bubbly, and, and uh, which you, you hope your server is. They're not coming to you like, what do you want? But but this this woman was just very sweet and very uh, interactive. And we ordered our, our, our waters, and, and um, I just felt really impressed by the Spirit of God to say to her, listen, we're Christians. We're going to pray over our meal and ask God to bless it, is there anything we can pray for you for? Now, how difficult is that? That's pretty relatively easy. You know, there's we always run that risk of, you know, what, what's this person, how are they going to respond? And her immediate response was, she didn't say anything, she just turned away from us. And I thought, oh, God. I, maybe I missed you. Then she turned back and when she looked at Debbie and me, her eyes were full of tears. And she said, I can't believe you asked me that. She said, my aunt just passed. Where, where was she from, hon? Bosnia. Bosnia. Her aunt was in Bosnia, just passed, and it was a twin sis, tw- it was the twin sister to her dad. And they are Muslim. And because they're Muslim, they have to bury their dead in a certain period of time. And so they couldn't go over and be part of the ceremony. So she said, I, my family here, we just had a get-together for her this morning. And I wasn't going to come in to work, but I know why I came. And so we prayed for her, and she, it was really interesting. It wasn't that she wasn't nice to us at first, she was. But she kept coming back and, and taking it really special care. But you know what? That's what the love of God does. When God's love is extended to other people, it draws people. When, when you're loved by somebody and cared about and valued, and, and does, that, does that have that drawing aspect You want to be near that person? Well, that's why God has for us to walk in love, to live this life of love so that people are drawn not to us. They think they're being drawn to us, but what they're really being drawn to is Christ in us, which is the hope of glory. And and as we walked out, um, I I looked for her and she was over a a ways away and, and she kind of waved. And I thought, you know what, God, you've touched her. And we're going to continue to pray for her, believing that one day she's going to turn to Jesus. And, and I would have loved to have had the report today, you know, she prayed right there and got saved. But that's not always going to happen in the moment that we're there. The Bible says some water, some plant, but God gives the increase. And we're believing that God's going to give the increase, not only in this young lady, but in her family. And so it's, it's those kind of things that if we're really living this life of love, if we clothe ourselves with love before we go out, before, before we do anything, we, we put on the love of God. Just like we're supposed to put on the armor of God. We should be just flooded and flowing in the love of God. And it should be in our homes first. I should be as loving to Debbie as I am to any stranger or any brother or sister in Christ. It should start there, but it should go throughout our day. You know, there's no lack of love with God. It's always there. The Bible says it's the Holy Spirit in Romans that floods our hearts with His love. So it's always there, but we're not always aware of the people around us. And and that's what I think God is preparing the church, us, to be more aware of Him, which will cause us to be more connected with Him, more loving of Him, more connected with our brothers and sisters, and then more aware of the people out there that need Jesus so that we can show them the love of God wherever they are. And, and when I talk about that, I, we, we read the preceding verses that says that love is, is merciful and compassionate and kind and humble and gentle and patient and forgiving. Now, if we're walking in that kind of, of character, extending that kind of love, Man, people are going to be drawn to Jesus. And and in this day, there's a harvest that God has, has said is coming in. And God has his part and we have our part. But he's preparing you, the church, me, the church, us, the church, for that harvest. And in the midst of that, we still experience difficult times, don't we? And yet the Bible tells us in 1 Peter 4, 8, that Love covers a multitude of sins, but it says first, above all. Can we go to 1 Peter 4, 8? Above all things, have fervent love for one another. Love will cover a multitude of sins. So fervent love, if something somebody has a fervent love for someone or something, what does that infer? Right, vigorous, intense very focused, very all-in, right? It's, 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 you know, if you have this fervent love, it's really a focal point in your life. But we're supposed to have this fervent love for one another. And, and that's because even if you're a Christian, you can sin. You can do things that are wrong, that are contrary to what Christ would have us do. And it says, for love will cover a multitude of sin. So it's talking about the sin that we as believers Commit against each other. There are, there are injuries we, we bring on other people's lives. There are irritations that we bring to each other and people bring to us. And what do you do with it? Well, you cover it with love. You, you envelop it or wrap it in this love. When somebody does something to you that wasn't warranted or wasn't right, it injures or irritates, we're supposed to wrap it in mercy, in compassion, in kindness, be humble with them, gentle, patient, and forgiving. And then what that does is it takes this thing that was damaging and transforms it into something that is beautiful and valuable. It really, it causes us to grow, to become more like Christ because we're not reacting the way we used to react without him because our natural reaction to somebody hurting us or irritating us is to either bolt away put distance between us or come back to them with something in like kind and neither one of those are going to accomplish what god wants god wants us united a body united where every joint supplies and that's going to take us walking in love. So we, we've been learning about these things. We've been seeing this. We've been studying Jesus' life and, and what, what he taught and what's going on. And, and uh, today we're going to continue on. We're going to review a couple of things just to remind ourselves and then go into another situation where we see Jesus dealing very lovingly with people that were very wrong and someone who was being exposed. But before we do, we're going to pray. If you just bow your heads. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for your presence. God, help us to really be aware of the reality that you are everywhere and you're always with us. Because as a believer in Jesus, your spirit has come to live in us. Today, Father, we thank you for speaking to us, to our hearts, our minds, our lives, and situations. That, Father, your your word, your word would be a light unto us. The entrance of your word brings light. It brings illumination and, and revelation to cause us to experience transformation, real change, real eternal change in our lives. Your word also is truth, and it sets us free. And that freedom you said we're to Not just used for our own pursuits, but in loving service to one another. Your word is life and health to those who find it. Father, we thank you today for healings occurring in hearts and in minds, in relationships, in bodies. Father, we expect healings to occur. And Father, we we are so grateful that you are always there and you watch over your word to perform it. So, Father, today speak your word. We thank you for your spirit and and him empowering us and guiding us into all truth. That, Father, as we receive what you have, we will become more of what you created us to be. And we thank you, Father, for this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, in review, we we looked at Jesus in two portions of of scripture in Luke, chapter 6 and chapter 7. And in chapter 6, one of the things that we didn't read in the beginning of the chapter was Luke is recording Jesus' teaching on the Beatitudes. It's the longest teaching that is recorded in the Bible uh, when he teaches on Beatitudes. And uh, you drop down and he's still teaching. It's still part of what he's been saying. And it's all connected. But in verse 37 it says this. Judge not, and you shall not be judged. Condemn not, and you shall not be condemned. Forgive. Forgive. And you'll be forgiven. Give, and it'll be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your bosom. For with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. Now, this is telling us that the principle of sowing and reaping: as you sow, so you will you reap. Uh, but it's talking about judgment, condemnation, and forgiveness. Really, really obvious question. Who wants to be judged and condemned here? Right. Ridiculous question. But, it, you know, sometimes we judge not realizing as we judge we're going to get judgment. If we choose not to judge, and and that word, when it it talks about judge, it's about passing sentence, finding guilt. You and I can look at things. It's not like we're not supposed to go through life with our eyes wide open and look at what's going on and, and be aware of it. But we're not supposed to write somebody off because of it. Because how many of us have done things wrong and somebody else didn't write us off. Didn't just reject us. Didn't just say, you know, I've had enough of you. But that's very common in the world. You know, if people aren't really getting what they want out of the connection that they have, they start to look for another connection. And yet in the body of Christ, understand this. Everybody look at me for a second. You're never getting rid of me. Because I'm going to be with you for eternity. (laughs) And it's true about all our brothers and sisters in Christ. We're all going to be together for eternity. So let's work on it here. To make it the best it can be here. Because it's going to be the best there. But we want it to grow better and better and better in our connection with each other. Because we need each other. The Bible says that not one of us can do this alone. Talks about the body being connected in every joint. Every connection brings a supply that wouldn't be there if there wasn't the connection. And right now the body of Christ is not experiencing all that God has for it because we're not connected the way God has for us to be connected. Because the first connection is with him. And we need to make our connection really sound, really secure and and very continuous with God. That wherever we go, we're very aware of God. Because he's very aware of you. And when we encounter something that hurts us, or or irritates us or injures us, then we respond contrary to our training in the world with like kind. We respond in love because that's what God does for us. And so we're giving freely what we've been given by him. And so this says don't judge and you'll not be judged. Don't condemn and you'll not be condemned. Forgive and you'll be forgiven. And in this this moment Jesus begins to share about uh, a parable about two people, one with a an issue, a speck in in his eye, and another person with a beam in his eye. All right, so the speck is a small issue and the beam is a big issue. And what it's revealing, Jesus says, is the guy with the beam, the big issue, spots the guy with the little issue and says, let me help you with that. Which helps us recognize why sometimes we see what we see in other people, because what this is literally saying is, when you notice something in somebody else's life that's going on, an issue, your first look isn't to them, it's to you. Because it's operating in your life. Now you may say, well, that's, that's a pretty big conclusion to draw from that. But I'm going to back that up with another scripture. The Bible says it will be confirmed with two or more witnesses. But anyways, in that, in that parable, Jesus is Sighting the man with the big log in his eye, he goes to his friend or whoever it was with the splinter and says, listen, let me help you get that splinter out of your eye. And Jesus says, before you go to try and remove the splinter from their eye, remove the beam from your own eye. But the problem is that in the parable, he says, you don't recognize, you don't perceive that you have the beam. But just because we don't perceive something, just because we don't recognize something, does that mean it's not there? Absolutely not. Because we all have blind spots and we all have deception in our lives. And so we're we're not fully aware of us. How can we be fully aware of somebody else? The only one that's fully aware of us and everyone else is God. There's nothing hidden from him. And so what, what it says is, you, if I see an issue, I'm gonna pick on him because he's not looking at it me. John Brody's life. John's like, what? If I see something going on in John Brody's life, the first step isn't for me to say, hey, bud, you got something going on, and I'm gonna help you. Our first step is to go to God and say, God, what's going on in me? Because Jesus says in this parable, before you remove the splinter from your brother's eye, remove the beam from your own eye, but you don't perceive it, which means you can't do it alone. God's going to have somebody help you remove what's going on in you. And how many of you know when somebody comes to you and says, hey, there's something going on in your life. Well, maybe not you, I'll just use me. When somebody steps up, my first fleshy reaction is, mind your own business. Is that too hard for you today? Cuz I'm being real honest. But I'm learning how to when somebody comes to me, not everybody. Because some people are just fault finders. All right? But there are others that are looking at things in our lives to help give us more life. Help us get free from the things that are are hindering us or injuring us or or whatever's going on. And so when they come, I have to be willing to listen. I will tell you this, just quite transparently uh, for a long time when when i went into the ministry debbie and i went into the ministry debbie would share things with me and i was like <laughs> because i was insecure and i didn't didn't recognize why she was doing what she was doing which made me react in a way fleshy that was hindering god from having his way in my life debbie was trying to help me become better and she recognized some things in me that I didn't recognize. And again, my natural response was, yeah, that's not true. But I found many, many times, most of the time when she came to me, if I would go and pray and not react to her, and I would go to God and say, God, what, what, is this really going on or is she just picking on me? <laughs> and I will, I will tell you, honestly, one of the things that, that he impressed me so much about never heard an audible voice, I've given you her. She's a gift of mine to you to help you become what I have for you to be because you can't do it alone. And so I had to to change, adjust some things that I didn't know, I didn't realize I I was doing, which was resisting God speaking through her. And I have resisted others at times. And you know what? You can, you can look at me and say, man, are you kidding? Why am I in this church? Well, I'm growing. But we all do this. And we all have to be aware of it so that we can let go of the natural ways we've always dealt with things. And let the supernatural things of God begin to work in our lives like never before. So we can be the people that God has for us to be and do the things that God has for us to do. Because without him, we can't. But in in all of this, we've got to realize that there are things going on in us. And we need help from other people, but not everybody. We've got to know who they are. Do they love God? Do they love us? Are they speaking truth in love? Because we can speak truth. And truth is truth. But how many of you know we can speak truth... And, and it can be damaging. You know, the Bible says the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. We speak the word of God and we use the sword of the spirit, but we don't use it as a scalpel. We use it to hack people up. Well, maybe you've never experienced that, and I'm so glad. But I've I've watched it, and I've even done it. And I've had, had to recognize that and make some adjustments, and, and I'm glad God's helped me do that. Uh, but... This parable that he's speaking after this, he says, you know, there are issues. And there are some big issues and some little issues. And many times the big issues are in us, not in the other person. And Until we take care of what's going on in us, then and only then can we help the other person. Once you remove the beam from your eye, go and help your brother or sister. Because the likelihood is, are you going to listen to somebody who doesn't, hasn't experienced or hasn't dealt with or hasn't struggled with what you're struggling with? No. As an alcoholic, former alcoholic, I had all sorts of people who loved me that were trying to tell me what to do, but they had never experienced what I had experienced. When I talked to people that had dealt with what I was dealing with, I would, and this isn't right, but I listened more to them because they understood what had gone on. And when we get something removed from our lives and we go to help somebody else, we're going to be more compassionate. We're going to be more gentle. We're going to be more patient. We're going to be more kind. We're going to be more forgiving. In essence, we're being more loving. And, and that's where God has for us to go. Another situation we looked at was in, in Luke chapter 7 where Jesus was invited to a dinner uh, with a Pharisee. And uh, as he was sitting down to eat, a woman came in and began to wash his feet with her tears and dry his feet with her hair and, and anoint his feet with this uh, costly uh, oil. And... The Pharisee became very judgmental, very critical, very condemning. And he, he was critical towards Jesus and critical towards this woman. And he said, if Jesus knew who this was that was touching him, if he was a prophet, he'd know. And who she is and what she is, he'd never let her touch him. So he had judged Jesus and judged this woman. And both of them were judged wrongly. But sometimes we, we get in that mode where we think we know and, and we don't. And then Jesus says to the Pharisee, "You know I've, I've gotta, I, I want to share something with you." And he, he shares a parable about two men in debt, and how the one man owed this great debt to a king, couldn't repay it if he lived a thousand lifetimes. And he goes to the king and he says, "Please have mercy on me, forgive me." And the king forgives him, and wipes away the debt. And this this former debtor now goes out and finds this guy who owes him a fraction, a minute fraction of what his debt was. And and he says, you got to pay me or I'm going to throw you and your family into prison. And the man that has the little debt owed to the former debtor says the same words that this man had said to the king that he owed this massive debt to. And the guy says, nope, you're going to jail. The king hears about it and he comes back and he says to the, the, the man who owed him the massive debt, he said, you should have been as merciful with him as I have been with you. And then Jesus at the end of this says in, in uh, verse 40, 46, where are we? 47, I tell you her sins and they are many have been forgiven. So she has shown me much love. But a person who is forgiven little shows only little love. So what this is telling us is when we realize the massive debt that we were forgiven, that was wiped out by Jesus, will, and the mercy and the kindness that he showed us, the gentleness that he showed us in doing this, we'll begin to be that towards other people. But if we don't realize, if we're unaware, because sometimes we don't, We don't want to acknowledge the fact that there was a massive debt that was paid that we couldn't pay, that Jesus paid the price of. He lovingly did that. He freely did that. And he fully did that. And not only at that point in our lives where we came to to faith in Christ, but even today, we can still sin. And we do. And the Bible says that... As we confess our sin to God, He's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There's not a time you and I can't go to God in true repentance and ask God to forgive us and He's going to say, nope, the last time was the last time. I'm not forgiving you again. God is always willing to give us a second and third and fourth and fifth and sixth and 900th chance. And if God's going to do that, for us, who are we to draw a line in the sand and say, Nope, I'm cutting you off. I'm not going to forgive you again. You've done it too many times. We need to forgive every time. Jesus told us we're supposed to forgive 70 times 7, which in essence is you never not forgive. Not good English, but good theology, good life practice. And, and, so we, we've got this, and we're, we're learning about these things. But it's, it's one thing to learn and hear and listen and, and store away, but it's another thing to practice it. And how, how do we go about practicing these things? Um, I told you that, that that issue of seeing a speck in somebody else's eye and, and a beam in your own eye, I skipped over something, is also found in, in Romans chapter 2, verse 1 where it says this, in whatever you judge, another you condemn yourself. For you who judge practice the same thing. So this is just a, an affirmation, a confirmation of what we, we heard about with the speck and the log. And so we, we need to be aware of that so we don't fall into that trap. But today we're, we're going to jump into John chapter 8 and see another situation where Jesus was in a very, it seemed like a very serene, settled setting that quickly turned into a circus. And, and it says this, Jesus went out to the Mount of Olives. The reason why he did this, we know that Jesus would go out uh, very early, very early in the morning and pray. He started his days with prayer, time with God. And if you're not doing that, it's, it's setting you up for some real struggles later on in the day, even more than what you know, the enemy has set you up for because you haven't made that connection real secure first thing in the morning. It says, Now early in the morning, he came again to the temple, and all the people came to him and he sat down and taught them. Then the scribes and the Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. So setting is Jesus, it's 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 early in the morning. People have come, they're sitting there, he's teaching them, and all of a sudden they bring this woman in caught in adultery, this group of scribes and Pharisees. And if she's caught in adultery early in the morning, uh, a lot of the, the, many of the scholars that, that I've been able to read and understand from that know a whole lot more than me, indicate that they believe that this was a setup of this woman. The scribes and the Pharisees had sent a man in to be involved physically with this woman to set her up for them to be able to bring her to Jesus and test him. Now, we don't know that for sure, but who goes around finding somebody early in the morning that's in adultery? And if they if they found her in this situation, most likely they were not gentle with her. Right? They probably dragged her out of the bed through a I don't know, a sheet on her and drug her into the middle of this setting in the temple. A lot of love, a lot of mercy, a lot of kindness, a lot of patience, a lot of gentleness, a lot of... No. But this is how they operated. You know, they were fault finders. Love is life-giving. And so... They're challenging Jesus right here and they're setting him up. Go ahead to the next next portion of scripture. It says this in verse 5. And they're saying, now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. What do you say? This they said, testing him that they might have something which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote in the ground with his fingers though he didn't hear. So they bring this woman out. They throw her down before Jesus and all these people. Her sin is now known to everybody. It's exposed. And then they they challenge Jesus and say, in Moses' law. So they're, they're now reaching and saying, this is what we're told in the law to do. What do you say we do? Now, I want you to know Jesus came to give us a better covenant. The law was created to show man that he could not live righteously without God and the need for a savior. And actually in the law, they're, they're, they're quoting to a degree the law, but what they've done is they've already violated the law. Because in Deuteronomy chapter 22, verse 22, it tells us if a man is caught with a woman who has a husband in that relationship, Physically, they're both to be brought and both to be stoned. I'm telling you, the law is brutal. Thank God. Thank God we can keep the commandments Jesus gave us and fulfill all the law. And so they're, they're already violating what they're, they're pointing at. And they're just looking to trap Jesus and... They're testing him. And what's Jesus do? What a crazy thing for him to do, right? Now there's a circus going on where he was teaching. And they're asking Jesus and Jesus goes, what do you think happened with the scribes and the Pharisees? How do you think they took that? You think they were, okay, well, we'll wait. It's okay, Jesus, I know you're busy. Don't you think that that just heightened their, hey, I'm talking to you. What are you going to do about this? What do we do about this? Look at this sin. It's got to be eradicated. He's just right. And it goes on to say, go ahead to uh, seven. So when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and said, so they are, they're hounding him. He's down there writing with his finger in the dirt. Now, again, I, I study a lot. I read a lot of things. And there's, there's a, a few different ideas that people have, but we have no idea what was written. What did Jesus write in the, the dirt? We don't know. But it was important. And some of the scholars believe that what Jesus was writing was the Ten Commandments. He started to write the first commandment. Thou shalt love the Lord with all, all your heart, and it, you have no other gods before him. And then he's writing these commandments, these commandments, these commandments. And he he gets up and he says, He who is without sin among you, let him throw the first stone. He didn't answer the question, did he? He addressed the issue. If we're going to deal with sin, we're going to deal with all of it. How do you want to do it? Because if you're going to stone her, stones are going to head your way. But love does not throw stones, love isn't aggressive towards somebody and demeaning and demanding. Love is merciful and compassionate and kind and humble and gentle and patient and forgiving. And that was none of what was going on. So he says this. He drops the bomb. And there's still nothing happening. And what's Jesus do? Stoops down again. Writes in the dirt. Now, the reason why a lot of the, or some of the uh, scholars that I've read believe that he was writing the Ten Commandments, because when you remember when God gave the Ten Commandments to Moses when he was on Mount Sinai, how did the Ten Commandments come about to be? Anybody remember? What, was, what were the Ten Commandments written on? Stone. The original commandments, who wrote the ones on stone? God, how did he do it? With his finger. God, again, is writing things with his finger. And that's why they think that maybe it was the Ten Commandments. It might not have been. But it makes a lot of sense because they're dealing with, he's dealing with them saying, this is the law, this is the law, this is the law. And so he's just writing the law out, each one of them. And he gets up and he says, he who is without sin, let him cast the first stone. And immediately he goes back down to write. And and many of these scholars believe at that point what he started to do was he started to write names. Names of the scribes and the Pharisees next to each one of the law Ten Commandments that they were breaking. Because sometimes, you know, we just get so self-righteous. We think we're just so much more spiritual. And we're just deceived. Because the foot of the cross... Is level. We're all on the same plane. The Bible says we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us have sin in our lives. Some that we know and some that we're unaware of, just like the beam. And, and so for us to judge somebody else, if we judge them, we judge ourselves and we, we condemn ourselves. But Jesus... Jesus writes in the ground. And then it says in verse 9, those who heard it, heard what? Well, the combination of his words and looked at what he was writing. And went out one by one, beginning with the oldest, even to the last. And Jesus was left alone. And the woman standing in the midst. All of a sudden, there's, there's, there's something that's going on. Verse 9, they were convicted by their conscience. Where did this hit them? Here or here? In their heart. When you're convicted, it means that, that you are aware of something you're guilty of. And all of a sudden, they each became aware of something they were guilty of and they could not throw a stone. Folks, When we're aware that God has forgiven us all our sins and yet we still sin and we're guilty of sin, we'll never pick a stone up to throw at another person. Because as you sow, so will you. As you judge, so you'll be judged. As you condemn, so you'll be condemned. But as you forgive, you'll be forgiven. As you and I are merciful, as you and I are compassionate, as you and I are kind, as you and I are humble, as you and I are patient and gentle and forgiving, given it will be given. Pressed down, shaken together, running over shall men give unto you. It's our choice. We, we have to choose. We have to choose. Then in verse 10, it goes on to say this. When Jesus raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? It's interesting that he says, where are your accusers? Because one of the, one of the uh, definitions of our enemy, he's called the accuser of the brethren. When we accuse people, we're operating the way the enemy does. God, God will reveal things that need to be revealed. In our lives, not accusing us, but saying, this is operating. You need to get rid of it. But, but when, when we're accused and we're condemned, one, one of the, the definitions of, of being condemned is looking at a person as a lost cause. That they can't change. And let me ask you this. Is there anyone too far for God to reach? Is anyone a lost cause? If God doesn't see anyone as a lost cause or somebody too hard to reach, who are we to view them that way? The Bible tells us love never fails, and it doesn't. It will always, always, always keep going. And, and God God has that. He, he doesn't accuse us. He doesn't condemn us. And and declare that we're incurable, God always holds hope out for our lives. God loves us, has loved us before we knew Him, loves us as we know Him, and will love us through eternity. Nothing changes that love. And that's why that love is so compelling, that is so strong, it's so drawing of people. When you get loved like that, you can't help but move towards that love. And that's why the church, we have to, today, and every day, clothe ourselves with love. Then when we head out or we come into the church and somebody doesn't do what we want or we think is right or we get hurt or we get irritated, that when that squeeze comes on, that, that thing comes in, all of a sudden we start coating it with mercy, with kindness, with gentleness, with patience. We're forgiving. And we don't let that divide occur. Because when things are divided... Where there's division, it can't stand. And God is looking for the church to stand in these days, brightly, powerfully, anointedly, lovingly to show the world who Christ is living in us. So he says, has no one condemned you? And she said, no one Lord. And Jesus said to her, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Now right here, he's not just saying you're forgiven. He's still addressing. He's sharing truth and love. Was she in sin? Yes. Yes. And he couldn't just gloss over that. He said, I don't condemn you. And the Bible says Jesus didn't come to condemn the world, but to save the world. There's conviction that comes... Like what happened with the Pharisees and the scribes. Conviction came. There was an awareness of wrong, but not in a way that demeaned them. Jesus, in that moment, when he was exposing the Pharisees, how did he do it? Different than the Pharisees did with the woman. They did it publicly, they made sure everybody knew. But Jesus wrote in the ground Jesus was loving, he was compassionate, he was kind, he was humble. He was gentle, he was patient, and he wrote these things in the ground that the people that could see it were the Pharisees, were the scribes, and when it hit them and convicted them in their heart, they turned and dropped their rocks and went. When you and I are exposed by God, not outwardly, but inwardly, we're gonna drop our rocks. We're we're not going to condemn we're not going to judge people. We will share the truth in love. And and Jesus does. He says, "Go and sin no more." There's a balance here. Love, but love shares truth. And sometimes we don't share truth in love. But that's always how truth is to be shared because truth is tough. Jamie Buckingham wrote a, a book, and I think the title, I, as I remember, is The Truth Will Set You Free, But It Will Make You Miserable First. And, and it's true. When, when we get a hold of the truth and the truth gets a hold of us, we begin to recognize, man, I'm really off path. I, may, I need to make a great shift. And sometimes we get overwhelmed and say, you know, I don't think I can do this. But with God, what's possible? All things are possible with God. And so... Jesus has been loving towards the Pharisees and the Sadducees even when they were unloving towards this woman. And God is always that way with us. God will never change. God will always act in a loving way towards us. But he's always going to act in truth too. He's going to expose things to us that need to change. They have to change for you And me to be who God has for us to be and do what God has for us to do. And experience the abundant life that God has for every one of us. Because where there's sin, it robs us of what God has for us. The Bible says our sin has hid his face, God's face from us. And that's a bad thing because when you can't see God, when you're not aware of God, who do you rely on? Ourselves. And it also says... We don't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. When God's face is hidden, his mouth is muffled. And we we need to hear from God. We need help from God. And so when sin is exposed in our lives, it's time for us to really turn around and repent. And when we realize the mercy that was shown to us, the love that was shown to us, the kindness and and The humility God has has used in bringing us to that point. Because he's going to use people. And that's why we have to come in a spirit of meekness. The Bible says those of you that are spiritual, when you see a brother caught in a sin, a brother or sister caught in a sin, go to them in a spirit of gentleness. This is in Galatians. It's not going to be up on the screens. In a spirit of gentleness looking to restore. Remember last week we talked about the ministry of reconciliation to set it one again to make friends again. Every time as a Christian we're interacting with brothers and sisters and there are issues, we're not looking to win a battle or to win an argument. We're looking to reconnect, looking to restore. God is a God of restoration, of redemption. Of rescuing from loss, if that's the way He works and He is loved, that's the way we're supposed to approach every person, especially those first in the body of Christ. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 7 and 8, in one translation says, Love always believes the best. Yes, love's not ignorant. Love sees what's going on, but chooses to believe that better will come. Because God is a God of hope. The Bible tells us that as the God of hope, he fills us with joy and peace and believing that we would abound to even more hope, a confident expectation of good. We should always be people that have a confident expectation of good. But we live in a world that is trying to rob us of that hope every day. And sometimes we get distracted from God, who is hope. And we've got to get our, our sights back on God and begin to look at people in the way God looks at people and minister and reach people the way God reaches people. Because that's the only thing that works. We can do it other ways and it'll be short lived. But when we do it God's way, it's eternal. There's a world out there that needs to know they're loved, and not just head knowledge. They need to see love in action. You know, the, uh, the name of this church is Resurrection Life Church. And from the very beginning, we, we embraced the fact that God said, you know what that life is? That life stands for love and full expression. And I've had some people say, well, you know, you're not fully expressing the love of God. No, but we're in the process. And our goal is to express the love of God to everyone, everywhere, at all times, in all aspects. That is a big order. But we have a big God. Amen? Amen. Like every head bowed, every eye closed. You know, this love that we're talking about is is very unique, there's only one source. And it's not human in its origin. The source of this agape love is God. And without God, we can't, we can't walk in this love. We can't express this love. We, we conditionally love with strings attached and expectations. And, and that's always a recipe for failure. But 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 8 says love never fails, it never ends, it never gives up, it never dries up, it never goes away. And we can say, but God, I, I just, I don't know if I can do it. But in Romans it says the love of God is shed abroad, it is overflowing your heart. Now again, God won't push anything on us, but we have to be humble enough to receive it from Him and then walk in it but we can't until we have him in our lives. And and you know, it's the Bible says that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever should believe on him would not perish but have everlasting life this god life. But you have to come to that place of recognizing who he is that he is the son of God the Messiah that He came to earth and lived a sinless life and died on the cross to pay the price for our sins. And then repent, turn to Him and receive, trust in Him to be Lord of of your life. And so today, if you've never done that, I want to pray with you. And I'm going to ask all of us to pray together. But from your heart, pray with me. Dear Lord... I thank You for sending Your Son Jesus who came to the earth and lived a sinless life and died on the cross to pay the price for my sin. Lord Jesus, I recognize Your sacrifice for me. I repent of my sin and turn my life over to You. I thank you today for forgiving me and cleansing me from all my sin. You have made me free. Thank you, Lord, from this day forward. I am yours. You are mine. Guide me. Govern me. Guard me. Thank you for saving me. This day, Lord Jesus, amen, 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 amen.